0: If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the Real Food Reel with your friends and continue to spread the Real Food Love.
1: And Welcome back to The Real Food Reel. Today on the show, we are joined by Dr. Warren Willey, who is a medical director of a hormone management and medical weight loss center. We're going to let Warren tell us more about his career to date and what he does at the moment. And so we'll welcome Warren to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Steph. I appreciate it. Wonderful. So because it's your first time on the show, take us through a little bit of background information about yourself and your career and what you're up to these days. Well, all right, I'll try not to bore you here. <laughs> um, I,
0: every day I get to see patients from your everyday person just trying to lose weight, all the way up to the professional level athlete. To me, they're all the same, whether you're making $13 million playing the Lion in the NFL, or you're a 65-year-old female with diabetes wanting to lose weight. The physiology, the hormones, everything behind it is very similar. And so we approach people with a very holistic approach. We look at them, are there toxic exposures? Are there stressors in their life that are causing problems? Are there hormonal imbalance? Sort of things. And then obviously we look at the, what most people would consider what people would do in a dietary clinic, and that's look at what they're eating, how much they're moving, what their stressors are, all these things that we know cause weight. But we look at it a little differently. We know that there's variables that really aren't considered, that you don't have to follow so much how much they eat or how often they exercise. Because as we all know, in one form or another, you can't undereat your fat and you can't over-exercise your fat. It just doesn't work we're laughing right now because we're into june so all the new year's resolution or people are out of my gym so i finally have it back to myself <laughs> and the regulars because all those people that set out with such great goals to lose weight the first of the year by eating less and exercising more it failed them so guess what they left so our approach every day in practice is to look at people in a more in-depth level understand their hormonal balance and imbalances, understand what they've been exposed to in the past, understand how food's affecting them as a hormone modulator, not just an energy or calorie source. And we get great success with that stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you more about this today because – the calorie myth is a message that we've been spreading here at The Natural Nutritionist for years, but I'm sure um, you're aware more than many, there's a lot of resistance to um, the, the new model. And in particular, it's hard for many people to suddenly stop counting calories after years or decades of believing this was their only answer. Um, so for the benefit of our listeners, can you take us through that calorie myth or what we once said? we told to eat less and move more and why this approach is so flawed?
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, I think that's interesting, and I don't want to get too political here, but I think there's obviously some political uh, backings behind this all through the 40s and 50s. As a matter of fact, if you look at some of the research stuff that was going on pre-World War II, they were really heading towards a hormonal aspect of eating, not a calorie thing. Mm. And so without getting political, we'll just – there's some powers in Washington, at least in America, that really directed it towards calories, how much you eat, and it and, and on a very superficial level, it makes sense. It's kind of they look at it like gasoline in your car. You yeah. need a, a, a tank of gas t- to go somewhere. When you run out of gas, you run out of uh, ability to move anywhere. And, and so, calories being a form of energy, as you know, and I'll use those words interchangeably mm. quite bit and, and so forgive me if I do that without thinking but energy is a form uh, or calories are a form of energy as you know stuff mm. so we've looked at it as if a fat cell has 3,500 calories in it and we under eat that so we make our bodies utilize some of those calories we'll lose fat utilization being we don't refill that gas tank and or we drive the car farther or more and so we have this fluctuation in these the energy intake and output of our bodies which then shows up as changes in scale weight Mm. now there's a couple inborn errors in that too if I may I think some of the studies that have shown that are on leaner people because I found in my practice A lot of bodybuilders, fitness uh, models, uh, even gals that walk the catwalk. When they're extremely lean, then these calories do become more important to follow. Okay. I do count calories in my physique artists, but in mm-hmm. the wonderful women and men that I work with that just need to lose weight, I tell them to eat as much as they want, as long as they're, one, their hormones are balanced, which is something we look at and we'll talk about more here in a minute, mm-hmm. I'm sure, Steph, and two, as long as they're eating foods that aren't hormonally irresponsible, that aren't going to change the way their bodies are accepting those calories, where they're putting them. So I'm not concerned about the calories, but if you're not eating correctly, if the hormones behind it aren't doing what they should, then those calories are going to be stored, usually in areas we don't like, our behinds, our bellies, wherever your problem area is. Mm. So the whole calorie myth is based on some a very understandable, logical fallacy. And that is similar to that of a gas tank. And so, to me, it was a a real revelation. I started seeing it way back in the 80s when I started doing this stuff. Started seeing, boy, people, if I'm doing my math right, and I'm pretty good at math, my clients should be losing a lot more weight based on my caloric restriction and based on me being super, super anal about how many calories are burning in the gym or exercising, and they weren't. And finally, I figured it out, started seeing that, boy, my, my first, I guess my first cue to it was I started realizing that the timing of food started becoming more important to me than the calories. And what I mean by that is as insulin sensitivity is greater in the morning, for all of us, Mm -hmm. if I put my clients' carbohydrates earlier in the day versus later, so the more hormonally active carbohydrates, I was starting to see a weight loss, Mm -hmm. even when the calories didn't change that much. And so it became more aware to me that, boy, there's something else going on here, that it's not just calories in, calories out. You cannot, as I said earlier, under-eat your fat or overexercise your fat. Your body's too smart. It says, heck no, dude, you're starving me. I ain't letting this stuff go. And, and amazingly enough, we get people coming in eating 800, you know, 1,000 calories a day, and they're gaining weight. Yeah. How is that possible? Well, we know how it's possible. You know how that's possible, because you understand the hormones behind it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's so much to it. And I think it's important that the, the calorie myth, or I call it the calorie fallacy, it's it's a mathematical equation, right? It's in versus out, which which human physiology cannot be deduced to numbers. And that's where the hormones become so relevant because, you know, we appreciate that physiology is more complex than than maths, or, you know, biology is not maths as as we say. And I think the point that you made about calories or how calorie counting can work is really important but it's also kind of where things get a bit confusing because yes. you know on one hand we say you don't need to calorie count to lose weight but ultimately you can't eat too much even of a good of a good thing um <laughs> All right. so you know that's where it gets a little bit interesting but I think the point that you make around um, the different clients that you have is really where we start to apply the individuality because um, it's it's related to hormones, but it's certainly related to the the current level of insulin resistance or carbohydrate intolerance. Um, you know their past, as you say, with any metabolic damage, um, and there's so much more to it. So. I guess what I'm trying to say is that we can't have this blanket approach that works for you and for me and for your catwalk model and for your bodybuilder. It doesn't make sense.
0: No, not at all. Mm. You're so right. Like you said... Steph and I, forgive me, I didn't get into great detail, but humans are not closed systems mm. and most of the are open systems and you cannot take a simple mathematical equation that works in a closed system and add it to an open system. Mm. And that's just on the basic level of math. That's why the calorie uh, in versus out just doesn't work in humans. And you hit something that is so important. That is, there is no one shoe that fits everybody. Mm. There are so many variables involved with this issue that the entire world is dealing with that it is a big mistake to say, okay, everyone needs to go low carb, everyone needs to follow the ADA diet or my plate diet or whatever's the fancy this week. That is wrong. You have to apply the individual and their life experiences, both past and current and present to that weight loss scenario or that program that you helped that person develop to reach their goals. And part of that is understanding where are they hormonally? What is that? What is going on with them right now that's causing this?
1: Yeah. So I want to talk about hormones. But before we dive too deep down that rabbit hole, um, a point I think we need to cover is – how different foods have such a different response to the body. So if we go back to our calorie counting days, what that essentially says is that, you know, 1,200 calories of broccoli is the same as 1,200 calories of lollies, um, which leading into our hormone discussion, let's uncover why foods are so different from a um, hormonal response and metabolic environment point of view.
0: Sure. You know, there's a very interesting saying I think that you'll find applicable there. It's not the food you eat. It's what your body does with the food you eat. Yeah. And that's why that 1,200 calories in those two examples is so very different Mm. because our body sees it and utilizes it differently the hormones respond to it differently in in answering that question Steph I think one thing we have to realize too is part of that individuality is where is the person's starting point so a person with insulin resistance is very very different than a person without yeah a woman going through menopause Or even perimenopause, five, ten years before she hits it, is very, very different from a twenty year old girl that's not even close Mm. because of the hormonal differences. And so the a person's starting point has to be recognized and understood. Their disease states have to be recognized and understood. Their stress levels, so the way cortisol and the stress hormone are interacting have to be understood. We have to understand their mindset because you remember hormones that tend to get forgot when we talk about food are the brain hormones, the neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, glutamine, glutamate. These hormones change based on what crosses our lips. And so understanding the starting point that it's not necessarily the food you eat but it's what your body does with the food you eat. It's the place to start with this down this hormonal, road if
1: you will. Yeah absolutely and I want to talk more about carbohydrates because as you know we've all come out of that low fat error and it's very much wrapped up in calorie counting because we of course assume that fats are bad because they're more than double the energy value of a carbohydrate or protein when in fact it's the exact opposite because of the thermic effect of food and the low insulin response that good fats create whereas Unfortunately, calorie counting is notoriously high carb because they're low energy, but the unfortunate reality is for, for many people, it's the recipe for fat storage because of that insulin response.
0: Yes. Insulin is a powerful hormone, Steph. If I may, let me tell you a story Mm. how that really, really hit me upside the head. Uh, The year was early 1997 and I was out to dinner with a professional uh, sports figure, a friend of mine uh, and his girlfriend, and I knew everything about this guy. I'm his physician, so I knew what drugs he was on. I knew what supplements he was doing. I knew his diet. I knew his exercise routine. Well, We're sitting at dinner and it took a little long for our food to come at night and he just started looking terrible stuff <laughs> he turned white he was sweating he looked awful and I kept asking what's the matter what's the matter and he kind of got foggy he couldn't really talk and so this five foot eight 285 pound gentleman stood up waddled out the door and fell over and I followed him out and I'm asking his girlfriend as I'm telling the major d call 911 because I don't know what's going on here mm. I asked his girlfriend, has he been doing something different? Is he doing anything I don't know about? And she paused for a minute. She said, you know, every time he eats, he injects something into his stomach. And I was like, holy crap, he's doing insulin. I had heard about it because a year before, apparently, the World Games had a few episodes of hypoglycemia due to insulin use. So this gentleman was utilizing insulin because that particular – era or, or that particular sport had figured out that insulin is the most anabolic oh growth promoting <laughs> muscle building hormone when you're eating correctly mm. but it's also the most fat promoting hormone when you're not eating correctly yeah and so that's what really triggered me to say oh my goodness it's insulin. It's the hormones and the way we're responding to the food that's the difference between someone who's lean and someone who's fat. And it comes back to that, where's their starting point? What are the other hormones doing and whatnot? And that that was just time step that I realized, my goodness, this is a hormonal thing. And so from that time forward, I changed all my eating plans. Mm. I changed all of my exercise routines, everything to kind of focus around initially insulin. Mm. Because to kind of get into your uh, question, carbohydrates cause a very rapid insulin response. And good carbs, bad carbs, I don't think we have to get into that. I think we have to understand that those things cause Insulin to rise rather rapidly, particularly the processed carbs or yeah. the carbs that are in liquid form. So, pops, energy drinks, beer. Uh, sorry for all the beer drinkers out there, but <laughs> these though that the form of food, as you know, also is very important because of the hormonal response to it, and that's why I hear all the time in my practice, and I'm sure you do in yours. Boy, doc, I just quit drinking pop, and I lost 15 pounds. Well, yeah.
2: <laughs> and that you didn't you didn't lose 15 pounds of calories. You lost 15 pounds because you lowered insulin. Yeah, right. For sure. And and th- that is just so vital for people to
0: understand. And the part of the problem with with this the whole cascade of hormones when insulin spikes with the carbohydrate, you also have a spike in serotonin, your mm. brain hormone, your happy hormone, if you will. Most of our antidepressants, at least the real popular ones, such as Lexpro, Selexa, Prozac, all those are what we call a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So you really want to rush a serotonin, go eat a donut and some chocolate milk, and that's going to raise serotonin. So that's how we get into this addictive cycle of eating, again, back to the hormones and back to insulin.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I'll just jump back for a second there because I do really want to clarify that point. I think... When I talk about carbohydrates, I'm always very careful to split them into two groups. You know, on one hand, we've got our refined carbohydrates, which clearly we need to reduce, if not eliminate. But on the other, we've got our whole food carbohydrates. And (laughs) although it can be simplified to the same macronutrient, the hormonal response is different, right?
0: That's very, Mm. very different.
1: Yeah. So I think that's really, go on.
0: Oh, I would just say that's why I really focus on it's, it's what your body does with the food that yep. we have to understand.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay. And I think that's one of the the messages um, that can be a little bit confusing with LCHF, with low-carb, high-fat, which is certainly something that we love, but we also know that it's a, it's a big spectrum of food from, you know, 20 to 200 grams of carbs a day. And obviously the individualization becomes – where you sit on that spectrum relative to your current insulin sensitivity, as you were saying before. But suddenly, somewhere in that message, people become afraid of whole food carbs as well. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, so I think it's really important that we do clarify that because, as you mentioned at the start, we know that in the morning we have greater insulin sensitivity. So we can be quite strategic with our in-food uh, with our intake of whole food carbohydrates, we don't need to demonize a natural whole food.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do our best in clinical practice never to criminalize any food yeah. except the processed stuff, of course. Yeah. But really help people understand that difference. What is a, a good carbohydrate as far as how your body is going to respond to it versus quote-unquote bad carbohydrate which your body responds in a negative way towards
1: yeah for sure so let's talk more about serotonin because i think that's a really interesting um hormone you speak about what the ssris do and that's obviously the artificial um rise in serotonin but obviously carbohydrates do the same so people always say to me why do, why do i want this food you know why do i find it really hard to stop eating bread or donuts or whatever it might be. But they, they, they produce this, this this hormone, this serotonin, so they make us feel happy, short-term at least, right?
0: Yes, oh, very much so. Serotonin is your happy hormone along mm. with dopamine, mm. which follows its tracks. And, uh, yes, yeah, so eating, I mean, think about it. We, we eat at wakes and we eat at weddings. Um, mm. So all emotions need serotonin. Be they happy or sad um, so in a powerful way to do that much more powerful than the big pharma drugs mm. are those carbohydrates particularly yeah. refined ones we just said no to they just cause a very rapid rise and, and as our mom and dad taught us when we were little children what goes up must come down mm. and so when that serotonin crashes as insulin going back down, when that stuff goes through you so rapidly, that's when you get into this terrible, vicious cycle of craving. Mm. You want that feeling again. You want it back. And that's why we get into that vicious cycle of
1: bonbons every night mm. is you're after that serotonin rush. Yeah, absolutely. Until you come back down on the other side. <laughs> yes, Yes, very much so. Mm, cool. Um. So now I want to jump back to insulin, but a little bit of a comparison to the hormone leptin. So you spoke briefly about in your story about um the your your client who was injecting insulin. So we know that insulin can actually be anabolic. So it's not the not only the the fat storage baddie that we hear a lot about in the fat loss world, or in even in the Sort of, I think, nutrition world. Um, So then, insulin can be beneficial, but what what's the difference between men and women in regards to that? And how does the hormone leptin fit in there?
0: Oh, great question. So, wherever, and let me just for your listeners, just to clarify, leptin is a hormone Mm. that was discovered in 1994. We thought it was this the end all to fat loss. This is the hormone. Mm. and we tend to think of it, I mean that great medical journal, the USA Today says that leptin is an appetite hormone, so Mm -hmm. as leptin goes down, your appetite comes up as leptin rises, your appetite comes down it is so much more than that Steph, I call leptin probably one of the big guns, the mother hormones the thyroid's kind of the conductor hormone and leptin's the mother hormone Mm -hmm. it is the boss, everywhere in your body there's an insulin receptor there's a leptin receptor right next to it, leptin tends to be all powerful in the sense relation to food and one way to think about it is insulin responds to food immediately leptin responds to food over time Mm. so as you get insulin resistant you get leptin resistant as you get leptin resistant then you, you lose that wonderful appetite suppression effect of it just cuz like your insulin resistance you're not insulin receptors aren't working well leptin receptors tend to go off and that throws everything into haywire in your body you the other hormones because All hormones are very, very intricately related. As leptin starts to go haywire, you become leptin-resistant. Or even on the other side, Steph, and and just a slightly sidetrack, as people diet, especially low-carb, low-calories, leptin drops rapidly, and that can cause, because that hormone again is changing, it's such a powerful hormone, that causes a a disruption of the other hormones such as the androgens, testosterone, yeah. TGA, thyroid hormone, doesn't convert from the inactive T4 to the active T3, all related to this leptin, this hormone that responds to food over time. And I've found in my practice that when you understand leptin kinetics and you understand how to modify leptin in an eating program, then you have better appetite control, you focus more on the better foods, including the good carbohydrates, you really be become more it's more of a lifestyle plan when you focus on leptin whereas i could truly say to focus on insulin i'm doing a diet so i don't know how much detail you want me to get into that i wanted to give you a broad overview
1: yeah i've got a couple of questions so that might help um so you mentioned leptin decreases with low carb low calorie which is obviously problematic um what about in the case of low carb adequate calories
0: I think it still decreases, but not as much, Yeah. and that is a wonderful point to make, Mm. back to why we don't calorie restrict or calorie count in our practice, in our weight loss practice, Mm. because part of my goal is I want to keep leptin happy, but part of that is when they're insulin resistant, they're leptin resistant, so eating the good foods unrestricted over time, and this is where, at least here in America, and everyone's absolutely the most impatient people in the world if i don't have something right now it doesn't work mm. right give it to me now mm. that's where the the problem comes in with quote-unquote diets is if you give leptin time to work and you're actually following out a lifestyle plan you will lose the weight yeah and if you don't if you're just looking at the quick results you're following more insulin kinetics you don't lose the weight because leptin doesn't have time to respond.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. We're so used to seeing very low-calorie diets um, work overnight, right? And so our expectation suddenly becomes that we should see these huge numbers falling off the scales week in, week out. And I'm sure you feel the same. I find that quite challenging to manage sometimes because – I can be patient with things, but I've also been doing this for decades, and I appreciate that it's patience can be hard to find. But ultimately, when we can make it a lifestyle, we're a not damaging our metabolism like these very low calorie diets do, and and b it's a it's obviously a forever thing. So it's not it's not yo yoing. It's completely overhauling your metabolism for life, hopefully yes absolutely and that's a secret you know it's not like i tell people all the time
0: it's not a you don't wake up one morning and decide to change your lifestyle Mm. it's hundreds and thousands of small steps every day yeah and but understanding again back to that need for gasoline in your car you can't go anywhere if your car is empty all the time Uh, we joke i have a one of my uh, nurses named lisa and on people i just can't get the calorie concept to them I have Lisa to come in and I hand her a little tube a surgical tube and I say Lisa go outside and siphon Mrs. Jones gas out of her car I want to see how she does going home mm. and she stops. Mrs. Jones says well I'm not going to get home if you siphon my gas and I tell her well you've been walking around with no gas in your body all this time and you come to me tired what do you think? And little things like that kind of, oh, yeah, I do need to have gas. Yes, don't worry about the calories. Let's just make sure it's the super supreme unleaded gasoline that we're eating, not the regular crap.
1: Yeah, yeah. The quality is huge, absolutely, which comes back to our conversation about the broccoli versus the lollies. Yes, yep. So before we move away from leptin, I just wanted to chat about the differences in um, men's – and women's brains. So we know that um, men respond better to insulin and yes. women respond more to leptin. So then how do we manipulate those hormones in the sexes to get the ultimate response? Oh, wonderful question. So estrogen has a very
0: leptin-like mechanism, yep. if you will, in brains. Yep. In women, obviously. So one thing we do in our practice is most of the weight issues in my practice, I don't know what it's like where you're at, Steph, I would say – a good 65 70% of the women that come into me are the perimenopausal state, so their mm. early 40s into their mid 50s. That I would say really is the majority of our clients. I have found that even if they're not, if they're still menstruating, they're not having hot flashes, they're not having night sweats, all these things, if I can help them balance their estrogen, balance the estrogen to progesterone ratio, they get the, some of the benefits of the same thing starts occurring like when leptin's appropriate, mm. okay? And because women respond to leptin better, as you said, also prescribing cyclic eating programs to where they're getting more calories or carbs on a rotational basis tends to keep leptin more prevalent and powerful in those women, and they tend to do better long-term with a lifestyle program. Um, so that's the two of the most common, if you will, ways that we modify or optimize leptin response in women's brains is, one, understand that estrogen has a leptin-like effect, and if they go through menopause, they start losing that estrogen, or they're on artificial birth controls, particularly the progestin-based ones, such as Depo-Provera or whatnot, Mm. they're going to lose that leptin-like effect, and we then optimize those sex hormones because we know now we're getting the benefits uh, similar to leptin by doing that.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting. So uh, do you make an assumption that the woman is perimenopausal so she has low estrogen so she has low leptin is that no
0: we test we yeah. do uh, usually serum testing or salivary testing sometimes i do a uh, 24-hour urine collection mm-hmm. and look at hormone metabolites and we get a good idea but it's also um, i was with the mayo clinic for a number of years and my preceptor when i was a resident there was a guy that had been practicing medicine for over 50
2: years mm-hmm.
0: he taught me day one warren if you sit and listen to the patient, they're going to tell you what's wrong. Yeah. And and every woman that comes in tells me, my estrogen's jacked, I need help. Mm. And so sometimes their husbands tell them for it, but we won't go there. <laughs> um, but, but, but so, so no, we test, test them, look, look, but it's surprising stuff mm. how bad it is. And let me bring in another thing, just talking about the yucky foods out there that are causing our issues. All the chemicals and xenoestrogens out there in our foods that is causing estrogen type issues because it's artificial it's blocking the estrogen receptor from really working and you should see some of these what we're looking at the uh the uh, different organophosphates particularly in our area we're in a big farming area so looking at the organophosphates looking at the heavy metals looking hmm. at the toxicity knowing all the that these women are you know they're washing their hair out of plastic bottles. They're drinking out of plastic bottles. They have all these BPAs and BPSs that are xenoestrogens that are blocking the receptor. So now they don't have their estrogen. Even if everything, quote, unquote, looks normal, they're menstruating normally. Their sex drive's okay. They're not having hot flashes or night sweats. But their diet and their lifestyle so bad because of all those chemicals. Mm. I know for a fact, and I can test it, but I know for a fact that – They have artificial estrogen exposure and the real estrogen is not working in this woman. Mm -hmm. So my first intervention is get rid of the plastics, drink out of glass, don't use the microwave if you can help it. Again back to lifestyles, change these things to get rid of those xenoestrogen exposures and now we start seeing functioning. And sometimes we have to prescribe hormones, bioidentical hormones to these women because they have such a hard time getting rid of those exposures. So I tried to do I try to one step it up. So that the artificial estrogens have overrode their own. So I try to override the artificial estrogens. And I've had some luck there too. Okay. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? There's just so many variables.
1: There is. It all
0: all comes back to hormones again. That's what I just...
1: Yeah, the toxins are huge, and we've had a number of episodes on the problem with the number of toxins that we're exposed to in 2016 and how to low-tox your life, essentially. So I'm glad you made that point, because it's kind of seen as, I don't know what you think, but... To me, you kind of almost get treated like a bit of a hippie if you ask someone to stop using plastic and to choose a different brand for their shampoo and conditioner. But I think now that we know the significant negative effects of the BPAs and parabens and sls is that it makes sense that we've got to remove these chemicals that are interfering with our natural physiology oh
0: absolutely and yes i get looked like a hippie all the time <laughs> now, i'm actually from boulder colorado one of the true hippie sounds comparable only to berkeley california so yes i am a hippie but i think by the time they get to me steph because we're uh, such a big a big referral center for dietary stuff yeah the wonderful men and women are ready to listen because they've tried everything else. Yeah. So they've been to the standard a uh, uh, registered dietitian, even at the doctorate level. Mm. And eating less and exercising more didn't work. So they're more willing to do it. And the neat thing is, it's back to those uh, a thousand small steps every day. If I can just get you to quit drinking out of plastic, I'm going to start seeing a difference. I mean, simple little things like that. And I get funny looks, but then they see the big picture. Oh, okay. So... I'm
1: okay being called a hippie. Yeah, me too. And the exercise conversation is actually really quite ironic, unfortunately, because we also know that the over-exercising very much from that um, calories in, calories out model can totally create or contribute to leptin resistance. Oh,
0: completely. Mm. Oh, my heavens. See it daily in my practice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible how much time people spend exercising and then wonder why they're tired all the time and wonder why nothing's working. Back to the hormones again. I mean, the we, we, follow, we follow a lot of uh, uh, diurnal salivary cortisol testing. Mm. And you can always tell an exerciser from not because they can't even avoid exercise for one day. So out of this nice little curve of cortisol, there's a spike right, right at 3 o'clock. And I was like, you went to the gym, didn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do my good grief do you understand that the stress response of your exercise could probably be equivalent to the death of a loved one Mm. your body from the neck down doesn't know the difference because of the hormone response to that terrible stressor exercise in your case and so how can you expect to lose weight with that how can you expect to feel good with that continual stress on your body.
1: Well, I think that's an important point because in general, I'm I'm making a generalization, but when you're exercising to burn calories, it's out of fear, right? So it is stressful. It's like I can't miss this session because I need to be in calorie deficit versus Mm -hmm. just exercising because it makes you feel good or you, you enjoy it. There's a big difference.
0: Huge difference. Yeah. The people that do it to it because they enjoy it, they do it because they're concerned with their cardiorespiratory health, they do it because it's a nice social time with friends, they are successful. Mm. You're right. The people that are sitting there watching the silly numbers on the treadmill oh, I know, right.
1: watching the clock tick. It mm. just doesn't work. Yeah. Unfortunate case of irony. So I wanted to talk more on... Um, very low calorie diets because we've both seen it you mentioned someone that you see consuming 800 calories per day and still putting on body fat Uh so briefly just go through what the the i guess the detrimental effect from a metabolic point of view and how that flows from a very low calorie diet absolutely so um I don't know whether
0: in, in uh down under there you call it the set point theory or the settling point. Theory,
1: set point. Theory yeah, set, set point. point. Mm.
0: So basically, your metabolism,
1: your metabolism,
0: your bodies, our bodies are very wise. Mm. And one one little uh, little speech I have, if you will, elevator speech with some patients is, mm. you know what, from the neck down, your body doesn't give a rat, You know what, what you look like, it's going to survive to keep the neck up alive. Yeah. And when you go on such a calorie deficit, your body wisely turns everything off it starts slowing down Mm. so if your basal metabolic rate and all your exercise and all your daily movements and taking the stairs instead of the elevator and all that stuff you're a a 2500 calorie person and you start eating 800 calories well guess where that set point goes it comes down to meet that Mm. because it's smart it says I am not getting the fuel I need so Mm. I'm not going to take the stairs anymore I'm too tired I'm going to not sleep very well because my cortisol is too high. My whole adrenal axis is off. Mm. I'm not going to be able to handle the stressors of the day because I don't have the energy. Mm. And so we our set point comes down. Our metabolism comes down to meet that caloric amount. And, and so yes, we lose some weight, a lot of it water. I mean, you, you know, the studies when you do VLCDs or VLEDs, whatever Mm. you want to call it, they you lose a lot of water again in a stress-like response but as that metabolism comes down that's where you start living and you know what, that's why people come to see docs like me is they're tired yeah. looked, and I can go back to okay, how much you eating, what are you doing here well the, the kicker is once you your set point has come down to there and you go back to normal that set point smart once again your body literally says hey I just survived one famine. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to stay here. And all that extra uh, garbage you put in because of the hormone response again, you start storing weight. You start packing it on. Yeah. There's a couple of great studies out there. One particular, I can't think of the author's name, forgive me, but it's from Harvard that showed in our, our rat friends that... After a rapid weight loss on a very low-calorie diet, the propensity to gain weight is 300 times what it was prior to the diet. And I think we can all attest to that. Anyone that's yo-yoed before, when they lost 40 pounds and wound up gaining 60, has seen that. And that's why… After a very low calorie diet, even if it's medically prescribed stuff, so something like MetaFast, Optifast, New Direction and whatnot, even if it's quote-unquote medically monitored, the body figures it out, even if it's surgery, if I may. The, the bariatric surgeries, whatever type, the body eventually figures this out, and you've changed your m- metabolic rate or set point, and your body starts putting weight back on it to protect itself.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and I wanted to talk a wh- about one particular very low calorie diet, which is the HCG diet. Which mm-hmm. it look. I'm just going to say it bluntly. It infuriates me because I am sick of the the marketing materials speaking of improving and resetting your metabolism and burning fat and it's oh, I just think it's a disaster. <laughs> Amen, sister. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there. (laughs) Just for the benefit of our listeners who haven't heard of the HCG, um, I just wanted to talk more about, because I I think this is a mathematical equation as well. So, you know, we see HCG increase in pregnancy to store fat. So the other side of the equation is, like, keep it low and burn fat. Is that the way you think it's kind of been deduced?
0: You know, here's here's the, here's, and I'm going to sound like I'm, Exalting. I'm not. I'm just telling you what the marketing world is saying. Yeah. So there's two. uh, uh, ACG is a polypeptide, and there are two subunits. The alpha unit looks like TSH. Mm. So thyroid stimulating hormone. So that the theory is. You increase thyroid output when you take HCG. The beta subunit looks like luteinizing hormone. So luteinizing hormone is responsible for increasing androgen production. Yep. Testosterone being primary, and testosterone we know does is a fat burner. Mm. It increases low lipoprotein lipase. It lowers inflammatory cytokines, tissue necrosis factor, interleukin one. Increases interleukin ten, the anti-inflammatory cytokine. So the 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 proponents of that are pushing that and that's why they're saying, okay, because of the hormonal response of HCG, you are changing your set point point, you, and therefore this diet is successful. But I'm going to come back to your camp and say, mm-hmm. wait a minute, your body's not that stupid. Again, if you think back to the hormonal aspect of eating and how our bodies respond, our bodies figure this stuff out and yeah. you're still only eating 600 calories a day. Yeah. It's going to figure it out and it's not going to work.
1: And they market the program that you're not hungry and that you can keep the weight off permanently. Have you met anyone that does the diet that hasn't put 10 kilos or more back on once they start eating quote unquote normally?
0: Never. Yeah, me neither. It's it's just, it's just, it's physiologically impossible. Yeah. You just cannot survive that.
1: And to your point about the, the water loss, they also say, you know, lose seven kilos in three weeks or something ridiculous. Um, which is clearly not all body fat.
0: No, oh no way. The body, again, way too smart, mm. way too smart to let fat go, but it'll let water go quickly. And that's why we really, in our clinic, uh, we don't, we'll use the scale, but the scale is simply to calculate lean versus fat mass. Mm. You have to follow those numbers to really assess how, uh, in that objective measure, that the eating plan's going.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad we're in agreements there because I just we we see we see it too much with you know it's it's partly connected to the calories in calories out, but it's also you know how huge the fat loss industry is. There's this new craze that is you know basically the magic pill, but again, as you say, the body will always override that that severe restriction. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. It's kind of funny. Um... Stuff you looking at your picture here. You're, you're probably too young to remember this, but <laughs> in the early '80s, I remember the ACG diet mm. going through. We didn't have the internet back then, mm. um, so it wasn't that big. But the ACG diet in the early '80s was a huge wave. It came through health clubs. Uh, I owned health clubs with my father in Colorado mm. back then, and ACG diet came through like a tsunami. Wow. Uh, and then kind of disappeared again. I mm. think the, the only reason it's still around in such propensity is the internet. I think it'd be here and gone again. Because of that very aspect, mm. but that almighty marketing machine is still pushing
1: it. It's definitely had a resurgence. Yes. Oh, in yes. in, in, in what, the way I see things, but um, yeah, I just I, hopefully people are, are smarter than that now. When they, particularly if unfortunately they do experience the the other side of the restriction and they realize that they're never going to get back to that weight unless they starve themselves, which is clearly not sustainable.
0: Right. Mm. Nope. Not at all. Mm.
1: So the last topic I wanted to talk to you was um something you briefly touched on before about the bariatric surgery, or we call it gastric band in Australia. Um so I think the, the, the original theory there was, you know, shrink your stomach and eat less, right? So it was sort of like calories in, calories out. But take us through, what what are the actual hormonal effects that this type of surgery can facilitate?
0: Oh, great question. So if I may, it's just like, it's originally uh, gastric bypass surgery was thought to be purely anatomical changes. Mm. So just as you said, you're removing God-given good anatomy and you don't absorb as much, therefore you lose weight. Mm. Well, just like the field of cardiology, which was purely an anatomy uh, based specialty, it's now more a physiologically based specialty, mm. and even the American College of Bariatric Surgeons changed their name in 2011 to the American College of Bariatric or uh, American College of Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery because mm. they understood there is a hormonal change that occurs. A, a very obvious one is when you move part of the stomach and the upper small intestine, you change ghrelin. Ghrelin is uh, mm. what I call the road rage hormone. That if you are ever hungry to the point where someone will die unless you eat that's that hormone so yeah. you do change that so initially post-surgery you do have a, a decrease in that but again back to the hormonal response of I it mean, you change you change uh, oh man I could list about 10 hormones here that change mm. with surgery but back to what we just discussed the body eventually figures it out yeah and I would say in our cohort that we follow The average success of bariatric surgery is two years. Right. The majority of people keep their weight off for two years, and then it all starts creeping back on, Mm. again, back to the hormonal aspects of food. Mm. And if you think about it, Steph, think about the people that can beat bariatric surgery. Just keep drinking your pop. Just keep drinking, yeah. you know. Uh, in that little booklet you reviewed, I told a story that was told to me by a very, very well-known uh, uh, bariatric uh, physician, uh, where a woman beat her bariatric surgery by, by drinking caro syrup, um, which is just pure corn syrup, as you know. You cannot, if you've if anyone's ever tasted that stuff, you could not drink enough of that stuff to put on 300 pounds, but the hormonal response mm. to that stuff is powerful enough to put on 300 pounds. And I think that's just one example that it's not necessarily, the anatomy's changed, the change, some hormones change. but again, back to if you don't change the lifestyle, if you don't fix the underlining hormonal problem, you will continually battle this thing.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's also the behavioral stuff, right? So if you just go in yes. for surgery, you don't really have to work on your relationship with food, right? <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. That doesn't go
1: away. That's back to the lifestyle.
2: Mm.
0: You're still going to crave your serotonin, so you'll figure something that will slip through that little tube mm. to get in there to spike insulin so you get your serotonin buzz. Uh, your habits still change. You're still exposed to toxins you probably shouldn't be. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's just – it's. It, it, the, the variables are just so many. But again, I have had so much luck, as I'm sure you have. When you can get someone to see the light that it's not calories, that there's hormones behind this, and if you can understand that relationship, People do better, at least in my experience, stuff. They just do better because they're not so calorie counting. They're not so exercise driven. They start understanding the power of food and it affects them like a drug and it's hormonally powerful and they can make a change in a very positive way when that realization hits them. That's probably my favorite preach if you will about the hormonal aspects of eating is i have seen light bulbs go on left and right in my patients when they finally saw it there was a relief i don't have to starve oh i don't have to go to the gym for six hours every day i just have to understand how food affects my body yes you got it high five
1: i know right And it it gives them this sense of freedom because, again, with that calorie counting message is also the eat every two hours and people are just obsessed by food, looking at the clock every second to figure out their next meal. And the behavioral stuff just keeps on tracking in this downhill, you know, direction, whereas with with real food and the hormonal response and suddenly you're Satiety exists for the first time in your life, and you can eat with a decreased um, frequency, not volume. Then the whole, you know, relationship with food improves, and you are optimizing your hormones with that approach as well.
0: Absolutely, are you bet. They're, that's so funny you said the meal the frequency thing that's mm. an argument I get into quite frequently
1: yeah me too <laughs> um, especially
0: in the physique world they really think you have to eat 7-8 times a day to maintain a physique
1: mm. and
0: I say okay so let's I'm going to consider your caloric uh, theory correct right now
2: mm.
0: how full do you really get eating 200 calories 8 times a day
2: oh nothing
0: oh, I'm, I'm never full exactly mm. why don't you eat twice a day and eat 800 calories each time mm you'll feel better you'll feel full the hormones respond appropriately and guess what you probably have more time in your day to do other stuff you need to get done yeah which makes you feel better (laughs) so yeah it's it's funny all the the misinformation out there
1: yeah i think the snacking one's huge and back to leptin i mean we know that the leptin resistance is wrapped up with eating 24 7 right absolutely
0: Mm. yes you're right on right on the money
1: mm-hmm yeah, it's a huge topic, but I think, you know, in summary, certainly we can optimize our hormones and there's lots and lots of lifestyle factors. So what are your top three? How do we optimize our hormones in a nice, succinct manner?
0: Well, I would I would take time to understand which foods are very hormonally active mm. in a bad way versus not. And that would simply be, I could sum it up with a simple statement. If God made the food, eat it. If man made it, don't. Yep. That's Beautiful.
2: simple. Beautiful.
0: Start there, and that's really the basis of it because the hormones respond appropriately to food that was grown uh, versus food that was processed mm. or made up.
2: Um,
0: number two, uh, understand it, it is, it's is—it's a, a hundreds or a thousand small steps every day, not one lifestyle change. Um, and find something that works for you. Focus your carbohydrates earlier in the day, so don't eat them in the evening. Uh, try not to eat right before you go to bed give it a couple hours try to sip water throughout the day as you know our brains have a hard time distinguishing between hunger and thirst Mm. so do these simple little steps and we have a list of 12 we call them the 12 optimal lifestyle steps that do just that say pick and this is how we approach it pick one or two of these and stick with it for a couple months and once you got those down grab another two don't change everything at once. That doesn't work. Yeah, It just doesn't work. And then uh, in my case, for my practice, because we uh, follow hormones, we check people's hormones and help them optimize those at the get-go, and it really improves our sec- our, our success rate really improves it, because we are optimizing, not normalizing, we're optimizing their thyroid, we're optimizing the sex hormones, we're making sure cortisol is under control, using adaptogens and using relaxation techniques and those things, and fixing the hormones from that aspect allows people to adapt those daily lifestyle changes, which allows them to go back to number one, where they start eating better because they're feeling better.
1: Yeah. For sure. Very cool. So where can our listeners find out more about you? And I know you've got a couple of resources online. Can you direct us there? Absolutely. People
0: are welcome to email me anytime directly at doc at com. I spend part of my day just answering email because I enjoy the heck out of it. Uh, I'm blessed I do this because I love it. So um, Mm. we also have a Great website that talks about everything we just talked about, Steph, Mm. uh, with a number of training videos, educational videos, with uh, ways to drive menus, uh, uh, print recipes, all using whole foods, everything we just discussed at getwell3.com. So G-E-T-W-E-L-L, the number three, dot com. And if they go to that website, uh, they can get on there and just basically it reviews our entire conversation and then some with some greater depth under each of those topics we just touched on.
1: on, on Perfect. That's perfect. So head to the show notes team for those details. I'll pop your email address and website links straight there. And we thank you so much for your time today. I've loved chatting with you. I'm sure I could have spoken all day, but it's been really interesting. And thanks again for your time. Oh,
0: thank you, Stephen. Forgive me. I really had to bite my tongue so I didn't talk you off. I could go on forever (laughs) on this stuff too. So
1: thank
0: you. I hope I... I try to stay away from the detail crap, too, because I tend to get into that. My wife always yells.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, some detail's good, but, yeah, obviously the really practical stuff's important, so our listeners can think about how it applies to them and what they're looking to take on next.
0: Yes, ma'am. Yeah. No, it was a real pleasure talking with you. I appreciate what you do.
1: Thank you. We'll talk again soon.
0: Sounds good, Steph.